Good evening. Ace Thornton, I love you too, buddy. Thank you for praying for me. I tell uh, prospective members here all the time that, you know, we may not be the only church that's doing it right. You know, there's other good churches out there. But one thing that I can attest to, unequivocally, we have the cutest kids of any church. And I think you know that, right? Amen? The cutest kids. Uh, I got a little uh, portrait this morning from uh, little Emerson Hurley. And then uh, last week, um, little Randa, I call her Randa Panda, Randa uh, gave me a, a picture. Um, many of our kids have, have taken notes and shown them to me afterwards. We, you guys are doing a great job raising these, uh, these kids. They're, they're so cute and so loving, and I appreciate uh, their, their vigor for the Lord, and I love watching them in Pew Packers, so thank you for that. We're in a series, and it's really the theme of this entire year, talking about our love for the church. Hopefully you love the church. Hopefully you love this church. And uh, tonight we're looking at growth. Believe it or not, you have a responsibility to grow. We're going to be talking about growth a whole lot over the next few months. So hopefully, uh, yeah, it's beating a dead horse, but we're going to make sure the horse is dead before it's all over with. You know, when it comes to salvation, salvation comes with an obligation. It does. And the obligation is that you are to grow that you are to mature. You're going to hear that from the pulpit over and over again. We have expectations for you here at Oldham Lane. When you place membership here, there is an expectation that you will dig in and that you will serve. Not just our expectation, that's God's expectation. And so therefore, it's ours as well. There was a, a man who made his living diving for exotic fish to sell so that people could put in their aquariums. He says that the number one most desired fish to put in an aquarium is a shark. And so he said, you catch these small sharks so they can put them in their aquarium. And he says that a small little six-inch shark will adapt to the size of its aquarium. It will remain the size of whatever the aquarium is. It will grow in proportion to its aquarium. So a shark that could be eight feet long out in the ocean is going to stay six inches or so in a little aquarium. I know some cute little six-inch Christians, don't you? They just stay within their aquarium, this being their aquarium, stay within the, the walls of the church, never really grow, never really become more than what they are. Maybe their aquarium is their home. They don't ever really leave the aquarium. They just stay there, and they don't ever really grow. I'm sure you've seen the pictures on posters or bulletins of of a missing person, and if the person has been missing for many years, like 10 or 20 years, the FBI or the police or whoever will enhance the photo and try to guess at what they would look like today if they're still alive. And so the idea is that if somebody has been missing for quite some time, 10, 20 years, they're going to look differently. They're going to grow, right? Could somebody recognize you today by your spiritual description 10, 20 years ago? Do you look any different? Have you grown? Because God expects spiritual growth. Physical growth just happens. I mean, unless there's some sort of malady, a person's going to grow. They're going to grow from a toddler, you know, and they're going to become an adolescent. They're going to become an adult. You know how that works. Spiritual growth, though, is chosen. 
It doesn't happen automatically. You've got to choose it. Are you choosing growth? You see, to be more Christ-like is a lifelong endeavor. And it is one, as you know, that requires persistent diligence on our part and one that requires maturation. God expects you to grow. And there are a plethora of scriptures that paint a picture of incompleteness that looks ahead and not behind. For instance, Philippians 3.12, Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. In John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, Jesus states, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Maturation is mandatory. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Peter said, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was the Hebrew writer who said, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant, but solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Obviously, the Holy Spirit-inspired writer of Hebrews did not look favorably on the lack of spiritual growth or maturity among these Christians. They were confined like that shark. They stayed small when they should have been growing. And the writer's theme throughout Hebrews, but especially here, is grow up. Chapter 6, verse 1, he continues, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Spiritual truths, foundational truths, they're important, but a foundation is meant to be built upon. It's not meant to remain a foundation. Are we building? Are we growing? Choosing not to grow is dangerous. The Hebrew writer says those who are stuck in perpetual infancy place themselves in danger of falling away. Notice verse 14 of chapter 5. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The more mature one becomes, the better equipped they are to discern right from wrong. They're better equipped to handle truth and error. They become more discerning. It was a man who was visiting Boston. And he decided to go to a Boston Celtics game. He was not a Celtics fan. He was a Spurs fan. And the Spurs were in town playing the Celtics. So he thought, well, I'll I'll go to a game. And he wore a Spurs t-shirt. And he sat among the crowd, a sea of green. You know the Celtics, they're green. And he felt very uncomfortable. He started cheering. He couldn't contain himself. Every time the Spurs did something good, he would cheer wildly. And everybody looked at him. They weren't happy that he was there among them cheering for the visiting team. But then he noticed a guy across the aisle who also had a Spurs shirt on, who was also cheering wildly, and they, they high-fived. They, they shared a common bond. They became friends through that game. They'd never seen each other before, never even met. But they shared a common bond. We are the visiting team in this world. And the home team doesn't much like us necessarily. You know, the home team would rather us just be quiet. They may even boo us. Satan, of course, is the coach of this home team. He's not too happy with us invading his turf. Some don't take too kindly or support the visitor. They would rather us be quiet. 
And it's going to take a strong individual who is willing to stand up and cheer among a throng of people who are looking down their nose at us. How do we grow? How do we mature? That's the all-important question, isn't it? In any sermon, any sermon that talks about what we should be and what we should do, the million-dollar question is, okay, so how do we do it? How do we mature? How do we grow? Well, I think there's two aspects here. I think you have behavioral habits, and I think you have functional habits. And I bet you can guess the behavioral habits I'm going to mention. What are they? Prayer, Bible study, assembling with the saints. I mean, that's always the answer, right? But think about it for just a moment. How can you be a mature Christian without studying God's Word? How can you be a mature Christian without communicating with God? And how can you be a mature Christian without being here with the saints? If, if COVID has taught us anything, it's taught us that we need this, that we need each other. So let's look at those three real quick. Behavioral habits. Bible study is one of the primary ones. We've, we've discussed Bible study in the past. But isn't it interesting that we have more Bibles at our disposal than ever? There's a version for everybody, right? Not all of them are worth the paper they're printed on. But you have the King James, the New King James. You have the New American Standard. You have the ESV. You have the NIV. You have the CSV. You have all these different versions of the Bible. And yet studies consistently show that only like 18 to 20% of Christians are actually reading their Bible on a regular basis. Why is that? Why are we not going to God's Word more often? We have the Bible readily available. It's at our fingertips anywhere at any time just about. It's on our phone. It's, you know, it's on the internet. The issue really boils down, I think, to desire, right? How strong is our desire to have a deep, meaningful relationship with God? Because if that is our heart's desire, then Bible study will be a priority because you cannot have a healthy, meaningful, faithful relationship with God without a healthy, meaningful, faithful relationship with His Word. Listen to the words of Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So the psalmist pictures himself as a deer panting for water, tongue hanging out, searching the dry and parched land for water. This is the type of thirst that he has for God. It's a deep longing. It's a desperate searching. It's a fervent persevering. He longs to be in God's presence. It is a holy ambition. But we can talk about that all we want. You know that already. Bible study means nothing if you're not applying it to your life. There was a seminary professor, a true story, seminary professor who was touring the Holy Lands, and he, he heard about a guy who had the entire Old Testament memorized. Well, he was skeptical about that, but he wanted to meet him. And so they set up an, a meeting, and, and he met the guy, and he tested his knowledge to see if he truly had memorized the entire Old Testament. He asked him to quote Psalm 119 in its entirety, and he did. So I asked him to quote, you know, Genesis 1 in its entirety, he did, and he did this for several different passages, books of the Bible, and the man was spot on, didn't he miss a word? The seminary professor was shocked. He was even more shocked to learn that that man was an atheist. He didn't care anything about God. He just thought it was, you know, a hobby to, to memorize God's word, an interesting hobby to him. Obviously, it's got to be more than that to us. 
When we go to the Bible, we look to answer a question. And that question is, what now? How does this change me? How does this make me different? What now? I've read this. I've soaked it in. I've digested it like God tells me to do. So, so what now? When it comes to an assessment of Bible study, whether we are listening to the word being read, whether we're reading it in our daily reading plan, or whether we're meditating on its truth in the final analysis, we all have to answer that question. What now? I've read these things. I've studied these things. What difference is this going to make in my life? And how you answer that question means everything going forward. Prayer, of course, we've been talking about on Sunday mornings, another vital aspect for our habitual behaviors when it comes to developing holy habits. Prayer is a relationship, as we talked about this morning. David wrote, evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. It's interesting that David describes prayer as complaining and murmuring. We know that the early church was continually devoting themselves to prayer, and I would say this to you, pray. Just pray. Even if it seems awkward, even if you haven't done it on a regular basis before, start now. Pray. I think one of the best ways to learn how to pray is just do it. Pray. Make it a habit, not a ritual. A ritual is something that we do without ever really giving any thought to. Prayer is a habit of the heart. Don't just use it to get you out of a jam or, or as a means of uh, you know, getting what you want from God. Pray hard. Pray often. Pray for forgiveness. Pray for thanksgiving. Pray for God's will to be done. Just pray. And then assembling is another vital habit. Christians who willfully skip worship on a regular basis will always struggle in their efforts to grow. Always. I'm so encouraged by how many people here take notes and, 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 and who are, you know, sometimes as a preacher you wonder, is anybody even listening to what I say? You guys do a good job of affirming that you actually do, and I appreciate that so much. Like many things, it's easy to get into the routine of regular attendance, and it's easy to get out of it, right? The less we attend, the weaker the habit becomes. The Hebrew writer stated, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This passage is always offered up as a proof text for why you shouldn't skip church. There's a whole lot more going on in this passage than that. Because as you heard me say last week, you can come to church, but just sitting in a pew doesn't make you a Christian. There's more to it than that. The Hebrew writer is not just talking about those who skip church. The word forsake there means to abandon. So the person who misses church here and there, that's not who this is addressed to. If I don't get home in time for supper with my family... I haven't forsaken them. I missed, right? And I hate that. It's not talking about the person that has to miss occasionally. This is talking about the person who has turned their back on the church, who has abandoned the faith and abandoned the church. I don't think that anybody here is qualified in that, in that realm. But what we miss so often because we use this as a proof text for church attendance is the reason that you need to be here. You can't do the one another's without one another. It's not possible. This whole idea that I love Jesus, but I don't love his church, the, the two go hand in hand. That's like saying, Chris, I love you. I can't stand your wife. You and I would have a problem. 
You can't have one without the other. You can't do the one another's that Paul talks about without one another. And notice what the Hebrew writer states. There are certain blessings that we receive when we're together that we cannot have on our own, worshiping on our own or worshiping in our house. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we assemble to stimulate or provoke one another to love and good deeds, and therefore we should not forsake the assembly. You cannot stimulate one another to love and good deeds by worshiping at first mattress. You can't do that. At 10th and bedpost, you can't do it. You've got to be here and you've got to be among the saints in order to practice these one another's to bear with one another, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep, to stimulate one another, to love and good deeds. You need the church and the church needs you. Obviously, COVID has thrown a monkey wrench in all this. And there are some people that unfortunately can't, can't get out of the house. I'm so glad that we have the resources that we have, like the live streaming, the TV program. But to willfully choose not to be here when you could be, is always going to mean that you're going to struggle in your maturation. And instead of looking at this passage as a proof text for church attendance, look at it as what you would be missing if you're not here. We need each other. Don't neglect your spiritual growth by neglecting Christ's bride. So that's some behavioral habits. I have two functional habits. And one is fellowship. We've talked about fellowship in the past as well, and, and that word is rather broad. So what are we talking about? Well, for the sake of our discussion tonight, when we talk about fellowship, we're talking about sharing, right? Or participation, partnering with one another. Those who are in fellowship care about the Lord's body. They care about others. We suffer with those who suffer. We rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep, as I said. We bear one another's burdens. We stir one another up to good, uh, to love and good deeds. We are joined together by a common bond, which also naturally means that we are involved in each other's lives, connecting with one another. One cannot seek an identity in Christ apart from his church, and one cannot be a part of his church without participating in it. Fellowship involves association as well. Christians are born of the same birth, filled with the same spirit, and each call God the Father. This is the tie that binds the family of God together. It's not social or economic or racial or national. It is Christ, and those who are in Christ have an association. Where there is no association, there is no fellowship. If a Christian cuts himself off from the association of other Christians, he has disfellowshipped himself. There are tremendous growth opportunities afforded. Through fellowship, practical spiritual growth comes when we immerse ourselves in the work of the church and being involved with other people. When I first came into the church, I was, I was kind of standoffish. I didn't really know what all of this was about. In my mind, church was for the cleaned up and the dressed up. And so you come in in your best suit, in your best game of pretend, and you just acted like everything was fine, even if it wasn't. I mean, that's how you did church. Of course, it didn't take me long to realize that church is quite the opposite. The church is not for the dressed up, it's for the messed up. I mean, what better place for people who are striving to do the right thing but fall short? What better place for limping disciples than here? We don't have it all together. We're not perfect people, but we are saved by the grace of God, and what a wonderful thing, right? And what a... What a glorious thing it is when you realize that. 
when you realize that we're all in this fight together, that we're all broken in some way, shape, or form, and that church is a place where we don't have to play pretend. It's a place where we can blend. It's a place where we can depend on other people to help us grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that what church should be? A place of healing, a place of community, a place of family where broken individuals can come together to worship God and be lifted up. But another functional habit that greatly aids in our maturation is service. You're going to hear about service a lot over the next few months. Serving takes the focus off of ourselves, and make no mistake, there's personal benefit in that. And when you serve others, when you feed the hungry, you feed yourself. When you give the thirsty something to drink, you quench a thirst in yourself. When you clothe the naked, you adorn yourself as well. When you minister to the sick, you are ministering to yourself. Service incites growth because when we seek to serve, we're seeking to be more like Christ. And Christ was the master servant. And therefore, to serve him will affect your character and your spiritual development like nothing else. There are many opportunities to serve here at Oldham Lane. And many of you who have served can attest to this. If you teach a Bible class, you, you would probably admit that you learn as much or more than, than the people you're teaching to. When you dig in and help in a certain ministry, you find that there's great reward in that. There's great personal benefit. That's not why you do it. You're not doing it simply for selfish reasons, but you do find that there's personal benefit. And there's all kinds of growth opportunities. And, and they're not all grandiose. It's not about just standing up and preaching or leading singing. Greg Evans takes care of our vans. You didn't know that probably. He does an amazing job at it. Make sure they're clean. Make sure they're serviced. Make sure they're legal on the road. Got, one, got him one the other day, and it was so nice. I told Greg, I was so clean because every time on Thursday we go out to eat lunch as a staff, B.B. always messes it up somehow. No, that's not true. She did spill her drink in there one day, and I, I, I won't let her live it down. There's so many growth opportunities here in the way of service. Small things, big things. I would encourage you to get involved. Find that place where you can dig in and invest. I speak for the elders and the other ministers when I say that service not only helps us, but it helps you to grow and develop as well. My friends, maturity is mandatory. You are expected to grow. With salvation comes an obligation, but also an opportunity. You've heard me say it before, you weren't saved to sit, you were saved to serve, but you were also shaped to serve. You were created for this. You are his workmanship. You were created to serve, as Blake brought out so eloquently in his lesson on Wednesday night. You were made for this, to work and to do the work of the Lord and the work of the church. So I want to encourage you to find ways in which you can grow. Do the things that incite growth. There is an expectation for you to grow, not just from the shepherds here, not just from the staff, but from God. God expects you to grow. We, the church, have every right to expect you to grow and develop because God expects that. The Lord expects that from all of us. And I would say this too. 
when you dig in and help, when you invest in something like this, there's going to be some discouragement. There's going to be some times when you, when you feel like maybe what's it all for. There may be some times when you get your feelings hurt. It's so funny to me that within the church, we have expectations that we don't have in anything else. We'll overlook things in other organizations and other things in our life that we'll never overlook in church. We never get the benefit of the doubt. And it's frustrating at times. In politics, for instance, we'll give a lot of leeway there as long as they believe one or two things that we believe. Not in the church. There's a problem. I'm out of here. You think about the church in Corinth. How messed up was that church? We're not anywhere near that, right? Yet as messed up as they were, Paul says, you're my brothers and sisters. He calls them saints. He tells them how much he loves them. If you were a part of the church in Corinth, what would you do? You'd be out of there and go to a church down the road? Would you bolt as quickly as you could? Would you stay and fight? Don't get me wrong, there's good reasons to leave a church. If you're not being fed, if doctrinal error is being taught, if if maybe, you know, maybe you feel like it's, it's, it's too big and you need somewhere else. I mean, there's, there's reasons that people go to another church that are valid. Many of you know about that. But there's also reasons that are not valid. And one of those is not sticking out and seeing, okay, how can I make this better? And maybe you're doing it, it doesn't help. Maybe, maybe you try to stick it out and it doesn't work out. I understand. But instead of hopping, help. Instead of fleeing, fight. There's going to be discouragement. Anytime you invest in something, you're going to be disappointed. But the answer isn't always to bow out. The answer is to keep moving ahead. And keep doing the work of the Lord. Be about the Father's business. Let's pray. Most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day and for this opportunity. And we thank you for what you've done for Oldham Lane and what you continue to do here. And we pray that we can be everything that you would have us to be. That we can be about your business. That we can seek, that we can seek to glorify you in all that we do. God, may we show you each and every day how much we love you by how we live. Thank you for this church family. Thank you so much for your love and grace and mercy. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.